0: Good morning. I love Christmas for a lot of different reasons. You too? A lot of different reasons. But one of the reasons I love the Christmas season is because the Christmas season is a season for stories. Right? It's it's where we zoom back in on storytelling. Think about you. How many could raise their hand and say you have a favorite Christmas movie? Come on. Think about—I know it's effort. See, it might be Elf. It might be something else. But that's what—what what is a movie? It's a storyteller. What about songs? You have—you have special Christmas songs that tell a story, right? They take you back. Something even happens to commercials at Christmas time. You know what I'm talking about? These—these these irritating commercials that that pop up on whatever, you, however you watch television. Even, even commercials get transform sometimes at christmas time watch this Hey, oh, hey, what's the matter with the hair, yeah, hey, oh, hey, what's the matter with the hair, yeah, 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 stories have the, the, the ability to move us and impact us emotionally. Every time I watch that, not this morning, but every time I watch that alone, I cry. There's an emotion, and not for the reason you think, although that's there, but that's the reason why I'm not allowed to dance in public, that (laughs) commercial. So I cry for the loss of my my public dancing. But stories have have the ability to touch us in, in very unique ways. They have the ability to change us. They have the ability to change the world. And none more so than the story of Christmas, the story of Advent, the story that we, we read about this morning of God coming to us. What an incredible story, a powerful, world-changing story. Last week, we saw the story of, of the shepherds. Um, next week, Pastor Matt, is gonna, we're going to look at the story of Joseph and on Christmas morning, we're going to look at the the, the story of the, the magi, the wise men, coming, hoping that the story they had was the right story, that they would find the king. This morning, we're going to look at the story of, of Mary. Do you know the story of Mary? It's, it's in Luke chapter 1. It's recorded there for us. Luke records it. She is, she's a young lady. She's probably between the ages of 13 and 16, somewhere in that in, in that range, and things are, things are really exciting. She's engaged to be married. Joseph finally went to her parents and, and started the, the process, and they signed the, the marriage covenant, and they got things going, and she is engaged. Is that exciting? Yeah. Come on, that's exciting. She's engaged. This, this young man, Joseph, he's a good man. He's a good man. He's a hardworking man. He loves her. He's going to take care of her. Things are going according to the to the dream, right? Isn't that what? But every young girl—not every, but most—maybe dream about this 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 young man, this godly man, this handsome man, this hardworking man is going to love me, and we're going to spend our life together, and we're going to have a family, and we're going to we're going to enjoy God's goodness in our life. Things are good. Things are really good. She's making plans. She's dreaming there's a wedding in my family coming up and man is there a lot of dreaming and planning and effort and all this is moving in a certain direction and while this is happening mary encounters gabriel it tells us in luke 1 that god sent gabriel to mary he sends her sends him to mary Now. We, we have some details about angels, right? We, I, I don't know if we can be dogmatic about what they look like because there's different descriptions. But it appears, it seems, that when an angel like Gabriel appears to someone, he has a form that is similar to ours. That he has the appearance as a man, a son of man, a, a human being. But let's not miss the fact that he, he might have looked like a, just a regular guy, But all of a sudden let's not miss this he just shows up in her house he just shows up in her room or living room he's just there and he says howdy (laughs) he says greeting (laughs) he says it in you know Aramaic or Hebrew hello Mary and he says you're favored by God and Luke records in his research and writing his gospel He does this research, he interviews people, and he comes up with with these details that Mary is troubled. That's our English word, she's troubled. She's confused. I think she's a little bit scared, because all of a sudden a, a guy is in your house, and you've never seen him before, and let's not overlook the fact that he's an angel. He may look to be like a human being, but he looked a whole lot better than me, right? It's all right, you can... Amy's like, I'm not sure if I'm, okay. yes, you can, you can shake your head vehemently. He is, the, he is this, this, this creation of God, and, he, and he's, he's more powerful, and he's more impressive, if you will, than this, and he's in her home, and he's talking to her, and she's expected to process, process this moment and take it in, and Luke says that she's troubled by his greeting, She's troubled that this strange guy, at what point she realizes that he's an angel, he introduces himself as Gabriel, that I've been sent by God. She would be familiar with the name Gabriel, right, as a Jewish young lady. So there's an angel in my living room, and he's telling me that I'm favored by God. And she thinks to herself, what in the world does that mean? What does it mean that I'm favored by God? He begins to unpack what that means. He says, "You don't need to be afraid. you don't need to be worried. This is a good greeting. Let me tell you what's going to happen. You're engaged to be married, right? Yeah, And, 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 you, and you yeah. Well, you're going to be pregnant before you get married." And this young lady is thinking, I mean, I I can't fully understand. I tried to put myself in her shoes, her sandals, and I'm not sure I can. But she's processing everything that she knows, everything that she's been taught. And she's thinking to herself, well, I have been morally pure. I have not, Joseph and I are waiting to the wedding night. We know that's God's design. It's his desire. And we're committed to that. It's impossible for me to be pregnant. I mean, I I, I might be young, and I'm I'm some some naivety, but I know how this works, and it hasn't happened, so it's impossible for me to be pregnant. And Gabriel says, here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to hover over you. The Holy Spirit is going to place a baby in your womb. And that baby is going to have your DNA. It's going to be a son of man. It's gonna be, he, he's going to have a, a human body. And, it's, and, and your blood's going to be, and he's going to grow in your womb. But he do, he's not going to have a human earthly father. Because I know you understand how it works. A, a woman and a man, a mother and a father. And, but here's how it's going to happen for you. God is going to be the father. The Almighty One is going to be the father of the baby in your womb. Now we know this. We've heard it. We've heard it taught. We see, it, you know, and hear it in songs. We see it in Christmas cards. But just pause for a moment. Make try to try to put yourself in her in her shoes, as a young lady excited about what's happening, and she's just been told by an angel that she's going to be pregnant before she has relations with her future husband. This is impossible. What what does this mean for my plans? What does this mean for my wedding? What does this mean for my reputation? What does this mean for my family? What does this mean for Joseph? How do I... Well, honey, I know. I know what you think. But no, I'm telling you, it's God. Now, we can kind of snicker and nervously laugh there, but are you, you tracking with me? A young lady telling her future husband, yes, I'm pregnant, but it's not any human being. It's God. Now, God's already at work in Joseph. We'll hear about that next week. But let's just focus on Mary. This, is impo- this ruins everything. Everything that I've known, everything that I was planning for, has all been turned upside down. What do I do? And in Luke's account, what he records in, in chapter 1, she says, I'm your slave, I'm your servant. What you want to do, you do. May it happen to me as you've just described. Now, we can read into that, right? And I do. I try to figure, okay, what what is she saying there? I I see a scared, I see a frightened young lady with with faith and, and, and confidence in God, but she's still processing this bomb that just got dropped on her of what's gonna happen. Because there's another layer that I haven't mentioned, and some of you have already gone there. Am I the mother of the Messiah? What he said to me leads me to believe that this is finally happening. The, 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 The promise throughout our scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, everything that she had been taught pointed to a coming Messiah that God would come and take on human form. Is this happening? Is that possible? Me? Don't be afraid afraid Mary you've found favor with God I don't know about you but sometimes when God's favor is upon us it's not it doesn't always feel like a good thing because it's God saying I'm with you and when we it's like it's Matthew 28 don't forget I'll be with you to the end of the age I always picture a couple of the disciples going wait a minute why did he say that Uh, The first stuff was good. Go make disciples, baptize, you know, teach them. But what do you mean you're going to be with us till the end? Well, that sounds like a long time, A. And B, that sounds like, wow, we need you to be with us. It's going to be. So your favor's with us. We have a mission. You're telling us what to do with our lives. But wait a minute. Can we go back to that part? Sometimes when God's favor is on us, we know his favor shows up when he asks us to do the impossible or to step into the impossible. And his favor is that he's with us as we are willing to step into the impossible. Amen? Oh, this can't be happening. This wasn't my plan. This wasn't my dream. This is impossible. Well, I love that Luke tells, that we read this, read this morning, she goes to her um, cousin's house and they have the interaction that that Amy read this morning. And when it comes to verse 46 of chapter 1, Luke records for us Mary telling her story. So we've, we've heard some of the details. We, we know some of the details, right? For, as in the third person, we kind of watch this story unfold. We read it each Christmas, and we reflect on it, and we think, what would that be like? I, I want to know from Mary's lips. Mary, tell me your story. Tell me your experience in this moment. What did you do with this this bombshell that God dropped on you? And she tells us in verse 46. Mary says, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Isn't that cool? A few verses back, she says, whatever, I'm your servant. Whatever it is you want to, oh, I don't get this. I don't see how this is going to happen. This is impossible. Why me? Are you sure? She goes from that to My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. I'm rejoicing in who God is because he has looked with favor. There's that word again. She's processed, she's embraced that God's favor is a good thing, that he's asked her to step into the impossible, but his favor is upon her. He puts his favor on the humble condition of his slave or his servant. She's speaking of herself. He has looked with favor on me. I'm just a humble slave. Surely from now on, it's, it's clicking, right? What's about to happen? From now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me. And his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. Those who say, I am your servant, May it be done to me according to your plan. Her story, Mary's story, is, is, is shaped by some some things, some conclusions, some understanding that she has. And the first one is this she knew God's sovereignty. She knew that he was sovereign. She knew that he was in control. So she could celebrate. Catch this. Celebrate his plans for her. I hope we can connect with Mary. I really do. I've asked God to help me this week, to take what we know to be true about God, and she talks about his greatness. She talks about him being the Savior. She talks about him giving his favor to to people. She talks about him showing mercy from generation to generation, and his name is holy. She knows who he is. He is God. He is sovereign, and she connects that To what he's asking of her. The plans. The circumstances he's asking her to walk through. Does God ask you and I to walk through circumstances by faith. In a way to bring honor to him? Is he sovereign in those moments? Was he sovereign in 2022? Or 2020? March of 2020? We're confident he was sovereign even then. And in 2021? And he's been sovereign in 2022? Are we connecting what we believe to be true about God with the circumstances, the plans that he asks us to walk through? She did. She understood him to be sovereign. She knew who he was, and so she could celebrate. This is like a song. This is a declaration, but it's like a song celebrating who God is and celebrating the circumstances, the plans that he's asking her to walk through. I want you to carry in your womb, the Messiah. And it's going to be hard, and people are going to not understand, but my favor is with you. I will be with you through these plans. You can trust me. She knew God's sovereignty. She knew who he was, and she could celebrate his plans for her. She had peace. She had peace in the midst of the impossible. Verse 51, she continues, he has done a mighty deed with his arm. God has done what's happened. Think about this. She's... Now experiencing pregnancy, and ladies. I only know it by proxy, you know. Just, just saying. You know, laying in bed at night, and, and Becky going, "Ooh, look at this!" And there's a, you know, thing sticking out there and moving around. And I used to love to grab the heel and, you know, just for fun and make the baby mad, and then it would kick her and she'd punch me. And so there's punching in my in my uh, mat. There's punching in my family at night too. Or she would say, "Look." And you could see it. Or she'd listen. And and I'd put my, and so I only experienced it by proxy. But Mary was experiencing life growing in her. And all that was happening in, in this pregnancy. And she said, God did this. God did this. I've not had a relationship with a man. God did this. And he is, look at how he has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. The wisdom of humanity. Those who think they know what they know. And he has toppled the mighty, the powerful, from their thrones, the people in authority. And he has ex- exalted the lowly. He picked a young girl that, for, for the rest of the world, just overlooked her. She wasn't anybody significant in by human standards. She wasn't an authority. She didn't have fame or riches or anything else that would single her out. But look how God chose her. This is Mary telling her story. And he has satisfied the hungry with good things. This idea of hunger is not just, it's not limited to physical. It's it's bigger than that. It's we're hungry to know something, we're hungry to experience joy, peace, love, hope. And he satisfies those longings. And he sent the rich away empty. Here's another foundation on which her story is built. She knew that God's God was faithful. She knew God's faithfulness so she could trust him with her future. She knew what God has done in the past. She's, un- she's very much aware of his hand in the lives of his people and his ways of working from creation to her day. And she had all this past with him. And because she knew he was faithful in all of those stories, all of those moments, she could trust him with her future. Was the future unclear to her? Of course it was. Up here, it's like, uh, the Messiah. I'm gonna give birth to the Messiah. Woohoo! this is, wait a minute, wait a minute. Whoa, wait a minute. What is this, what is this gonna look like? The future was not clear to her, but because she knew God's faithfulness, she knew his past, she could trust him with her future. The truth is, we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what 2023 holds. If we take a look back over the last couple of years, we can try to fill in the blanks. And it's not good. And we can get caught up in that and wrapped up in that. But the truth is, I don't know what 2023 holds. I don't know what the future looks like. But I do know the one who has revealed himself in the past. And he will be faithful in the future. That's what she knew. That's the, the founda- foundational principle, a pillar of her story. She had peace in the impossible. Verse 54, she continues, he has helped his servant Israel. Think about everything in that statement. As a young Jewish girl being raised and taught, the Old Testament scriptures, the experiences, Egypt, slavery, the Exodus, the Red Sea, all of, even further back to, to creation and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and you with me? She she He's helped his servant Israel. Israel is the new name for who? Who got his name changed to Israel? Jacob, he was a good guy. Right, he was a faithful guy. He trusted God all the time. He had four wives, that's all we need to know about the poor guy. Right, and it was his own mess that he made. And yet, God took that guy and gave him... name Israel Mary says he's been faithful he's helped his servant Israel and he has always done it mindful or in the context of his mercy now this word mercy might be more clearly translated just loving kindness it's the word connected to peace on earth goodwill towards men mercy towards humanity The birth of Jesus is God's ultimate expression of his goodness, his mercy towards us. Did we deserve Jesus to come and take and and be born like he was in Bethlehem? Did he do that because we deserve it? He did it because of his loving kindness, he did it because of his good will towards us. His grace, his mercy. He has helped his servant Israel, always mindful of his mercy. Just as he has always spoken is really the best translation. As he spoke to our ancestors, as he has always spoken to those who have come before, before, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. The third building block of her story, or plot line, if you will, is that Mary knew God's goodness so she could count on his continued presence. She knew that he was good. She, she's singing about it. She's declaring it. God, I'm rejoicing in who God is. I know that he's sovereign so I can celebrate his plans for me. I know that he's faithful so I can trust him with my future. And I know that he is good. So he's not going to abandon his servant Israel. He's not going to walk away when I'm not doing everything right. Did you see that? Do you see the connection? Specifically, she zooms in on Jacob slash Israel and how messed up he was, and yet God was faithful to that man and to his descendants. And And Mary's just, Mary is not divine. Mary is just a, 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 a human being, a young lady, a sinful woman, young lady. And yet God makes a promise to her, he invites her in to what he's doing, and she's confident That because of his mercy, not because she somehow deserves it, somehow she's better than all the other young ladies that could have been chosen. No, it's because of his mercy, his love, his goodness, that he will be faithful to me and his presence in my life. Just as he always has. And so we find a young lady who has peace in the midst of the impossible. Mary had peace in the midst of the impossible. How do do we how do we live like that? That's the question I kept asking myself this week, and I thought not only of myself, but I thought of the people that I love and the people that I do life with and the, and the church family that I journey with and the people that, that are part of my experience. How do we live out peace? How do we radiate peace in the midst of the impossible? Because at the end of the day, it feels like, as a, as a, as a finite person, That God asks us to walk through the impossible. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how it's going to be resolved or fixed or healed or or made better, made new. It's impossible. That can't happen. I can't have a baby. I haven't been with a man. It's impossible. God says nothing's impossible. Right? Right? He says, your cousin, she's old. She's way past childbearing age. She's pregnant. What? Yeah. Six months. God asks us, it feels like on almost a daily basis, a weekly basis, the doctor says it's cancer. Or the doctor says the cancer's come back. Or the job is no longer yours. Or did you see what the rent is on that place? Or I'm leaving you. Or I'm done with this marriage. Or I'm going to go my own way and do things my own It, it just, it, it comes at us almost daily. And it feels like God asks us to walk, as his children, to walk through the impossible. So how do we have peace in that? Can I give you some, some steps? And I want to encourage you to write these down. However you, there's notes back at, the, uh, note pages back on the, connect counter if you are a pen to paper person or maybe you're just a phone person or an ipad somehow write these down and i'm i'm urging us to take these steps seriously in the coming days number one listen to god's story in the impossible Listen, really listen to God's story in the midst of the impossible. I, I started with, the, the. I love Christmas because it's a season for stories. you gotta, you got to be really intentional because you're going to hear all kinds of stories that have the appearance of Christmas, but there's things missing. I think, I think, and you can write me an email later theologically, correct me, Master Pat. I think that one of Satan's favorite games is Jenga. You know Jenga. You put these pieces and you build this tower, and it's solid and it's sturdy. And he and that's the truth. that represents the, the truth. And he likes to come and just pull one out here and pull one out there, pull one out here and pull one out. And pretty and, and you're like, "Oh, it's still, it's still the tower, but it gets to be pretty." And without warning, it collapses and it comes crashing down. It's one of his favorite games to just take out something, take out a piece of the truth. And so you, we've got this appearance of truth, this appearance of God's story, but key pieces are missing, and it's no longer sturdy. It's no longer something you can build your life on. I love Elf. That's what I, maybe my favorite Christmas. But And, and there's, there's the celebration. There's the, there's the trees and the lights. And are, are these good things? These are good things. To, to have people taken the tree and done other things with it, other have have pagans taken the tree and done things with it certainly they have but who created the tree god did who said you should be like a tree planted by waters growing god what about the rainbow but what's happened People have taken the rainbow and say this is, a, this is a symbol of you being able to live life on your own terms. Reinvent yourself and live the way you want to live. The rainbow is something God gave us as a reminder of his promise that he would never destroy the earth by water. Again, like he did in Noah's day. The rainbow's not bad. Just don't let Satan take out pieces of truth so that it becomes this weak, shaky tower. Listen intentionally and carefully to God's story in the midst of your impossible. Listen to Isaiah saying it this way. God promises to keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace. Did you hear that? The mind that is dependent on you, the mind that is filled with you, for it is trusting in you. So tr- trust in the Lord forever. Trust in the Lord in the impossible. Trust in the Lord forever because in Yahweh the Lord is an everlasting rock. If all the pieces are there, that Jenga tower is solid. The truth is a rock. So experience Christmas. Enjoy the music. Enjoy the lights and the gifts. Is gift giving a good thing? Certainly it is. That's what Christmas is all about. God giving his son. It speaks of his generosity. Just make sure you give gifts like God gives you gifts. You with me on that? There should be a gift for everybody under the tree. Listen to his story in the midst of the impossible. Don't let Satan remove the truth. Number two, do you get that one? Okay, number two, choose power, love, and sound judgment in the midst of the impossible. God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. We've got to stop excusing ourselves. From obeying God because of our circumstances, I want that to be uncomfortably long. Pause. We've got to stop excusing ourselves from being obedient to God because of our circumstances. This is impossible, God. You don't understand what's happening. You don't understand what I've lost. You don't understand what's been taken away. You don't understand what's been. We really think God doesn't understand that. He says, I haven't given you a spirit of fear. You shouldn't be frozen. You shouldn't be stuck. We shouldn't be complaining and whining and being upset about what's happening. It, it hurts, and we don't, we don't live in denial. But in the midst of the impossible, in the midst of the struggle, he says, choose power, love, and sound judgment. I face choices by the hundreds every day. Do you? My wife's gonna say something to me after service today. It'll probably be connected to lunch or something. And i will go, what? And I have a choice. Do I not? I have a choice in that moment. I'm gonna watch the 49ers hopefully play the Buccaneers and and there's gonna the, the guy with the stripes throwing the yellow thing. And I'm gonna go, what? Are you kidding me? And I have a choice. Do I not? On a serious note, when the doctor says Friday, I spent Friday in the emergency room, and I was in pain like I'd never had, and when the doctor says This, I I had a choice in the midst of my pain, and I'll just be straight up with you. I found myself excusing myself. I wanted to be rude. I wanted to hurt somebody. I'm curled up in a ball on a gurney, and Kaiser Emergency was amazing. The nurses, the doctors were amazing. But I had been about seven hours in pain, and I'm laying on that gurney, and I just wanted to say things. I wanted to do things that were not Christ-like. We'll just leave it there, okay, and you can judge me and give me grace. In the midst of pain like I'd never known before i want to ask you, did I have a choice? Yeah. I did. Sure did. I had a choice. I could choose to be angry. I, could choose. I cried out to God, literally crying out to God. What is go-? I had a choice in that moment. God says, I've, I've not given you fear. I've not made you this way. I've given you through the Spirit power, love, and sound judgment. Choose that. In the midst of the impossible, choose God's power. Choose love. And choose sound judgment. See, that word can be translated a lot of different ways, but here's the bottom line. It says we can't excuse ourselves from being obedient to God in difficult circumstances because he's given us the ability to think clearly. He's given us the ability to have sound judgment, to make good decisions in the impossible. When the whole world seems against you, when your world has been turned upside down, you're going to be pregnant. Choose. Choose power that God gives us. Choose love and choose sound judgment. Number three, saturate your mind with prayer. Saturate your mind with prayer in the impossible. I'll say it again. Saturate your mind with prayer. What does that mean? Our Father, where's it? No, No, prayer is simply talking to God. It's intentionally having a conversation with God. You can pray, this, and this morning I, I snick in here and I watched the prayer team and I thanked God for the prayer team, Jim. I wasn't creeping, I just, I loved it. There's people in here praying and they're formally around a circle with their heads bowed and they're talking to God. Is that prayer? Yes. Later this morning you're gonna be invited, Nate's gonna invite you to go back to those tables and there'll be people there to pray with you. You can fill out a card, is that prayer? Yes. When you sit down to a meal and you say, hold on, let's, let's give God thanks, and you, is that, a, is that prayer? Yeah, is it also prayer when I'm in the shower and I'm crying out to God, God, why am I in this pain? What are you trying to do? And I don't understand what, is that prayer? Yeah, it is. Prayer is intentionally having a conversation with God. The way we're gonna have peace is if we commit ourselves to saturate our thinking, saturate the conversations in our mind with prayer, conversations with God. Can you have conversations in your head apart from God? You can. Yes, you can. You can fill your mind with all kinds of other ideas, all kinds of other beliefs, all kinds of other perspectives and outlooks, and God's nowhere in sight. Now, he's there, but he's not in the conversation. Have you ever talked yourself into a frenzy? Talked yourself into a panic? Talked yourself into a ledge? Talked yourself into like, ah! Intentionally saturate, the conversations in your mind with him. Talk to him. Invite him into it. When you're afraid, when you're scared, when you're mad, when you're confused, talk to him. Invite him into that conversation. I promise you, and I'm gonna ask her to show you that I'm right when I meet Mary, that she had all kinds of conversations in her head with God after that moment. Laying at bed at night, waking up in the morning, and people, why are you so distracted, Mary? She's just talking to God, trying to figure this out. What does this look like? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to be? How is the impossible going to happen? Saturate your thinking. Saturate your mind with prayer. Listen to Paul in Philippians 4. Don't worry about anything. Sorry, fail. (laughs) Guilty. Did you hear what he said? Don't worry about. Oh, good. I'm glad you said it. Don't worry about anything but in everything through prayer. These conversations with God and petitions, asking Him, crying out to Him with an attitude of thanksgiving bring your requests. Let your requests be made known to God. How do your requests be made known to God? How are they made known to God? Yeah, you tell Him. You say, well, doesn't God already know? Yeah. But see, what prayer does is it puts us on the same page, at the same table with Him. He already knows. But he says, hey, bring me your request. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you fear. Tell me what you're afraid of. Tell me what you believe you need. Tell me what you think you want. Tell me. Bring your requests to me. Let your requests be made known to God. They're only going to be made known to God by you and me. And the result is what? The peace of God which surpasses every thought. Don't you love that phrase? Anything you can dream up or anything anyone else can dream up, it's not going to explain this peace. It, it's, it's above that. It surpasses that. It, doesn't defi- it defies explanation humanly. The peace of God which surpasses every thought will guard our hearts, will guard our minds in Christ Jesus. Saturate your mind. Saturate our thinking with conversations with God. Prayer in the midst of the impossible. Number four, hold on to the one who's holding your hand in the midst of the impossible. Do not fear. I am with you. Do not be afraid. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to your you with my righteous right hand. For I, ah, that's who's speaking. I, Yahweh, your God, hold your right hand. And I say to you, do not fear, because I will, I'll be with you in the midst of the impossible. Is Cornell here? Yeah. Hey, buddy, can you come up here? No? <laughs> we celebrated Cornell's birthday last week, and we went to, uh, we went to uh, the Great Wolf Lodge. Hey, buddy. And it was your birthday, huh? Yeah. And do you remember we went to the water park? Yeah. Was that fun? Yeah. And do you remember the wave pool Yeah. where the waves were coming? Yeah. Remember how scary that was? That was kind of scary, huh? Yeah. He wanted to go in the wave pool, and so we went over to the wave pool. We put on the little floaties, and we were standing there, and the water was was calm. And he wouldn't he wouldn't go forward until I took his hand, and then we went in the water together, didn't we? Yeah. And was that fun? Yeah. And did I hold your hand the whole time? Yeah. Did I ever let go? No. Nope. Why do you have this? I don't know what is that. How old are you? You're three waves beat him, crashed him, and he giggled and laughed the whole time because I was holding his hand. And as long as I was, we were holding hands, we had fun. And I never let go. Now, did it cross my mind? Sorry, but we did. this would be kind of fun if I go, Whoo-hoo! let's see what happens. But I didn't do that. <laughs> and God will never do that. God will never do that, church. Hold on. To the one with simple, childlike faith. Do you love me? And do you know that I love you? Yeah. Yeah. See, our Father loves us. He's already got his hand open. It's already ready to go. He says, I will hold on to you. The question, the step that you and I need to take, is we need to hold on to the one who's holding on to us. Don't let go. Thank you, buddy. You're very brave. I think he was waiting for a treat. <laughs> we'll do a treat later. Did you write these down? If you want, if you want to, to exude peace in the midst of the impossible, listen to God's story. Hear the truth of God's story in the midst of the impossible. Fill your mind with the truth. Choose power, love, and sound judgment in the midst of the impossible. Saturate your thinking, your mind with prayer in the impossible and hold on to the one who's holding your hand through the impossible. And the outcome will be People of peace. People of peace. Do you want to meet Mary? I do. I really do. I want to meet her as a sister, as a, as a fellow child, a part of the, God's family, and say, man, I so admire, I was so encouraged by your willingness to walk through the impossible at peace. That's what God's asking of you and I this morning. We need to respond I'm going to invite Nate and our worship team to come. We need to respond specifically, or we, I should say our response should be specifically in reaction to or response to what God has spoken to you. I, I don't know where you're at. I know where I'm at. And we do have a shared experience, right, in life. We have some unique things, But we have some shared experience in life, and it's not easy right now to be people of peace. And so I believe God has spoken to you as He's spoken to me and said, Here's where I want you to focus. Here's where I want here's one of these four steps, or maybe two of these four steps. Maybe it's all four. The order doesn't matter necessarily. But he's asking you to take his voice seriously and start doing something. Stop doing something. Let go of something so that you and I can be people of peace in the midst of the impossible. The tables are out this morning, and on the tables, the four tables around the room, the elements of communion are there. As we're led in worship this morning, that's one expression I want to invite you to partake in as an expression of your worship and your gratitude to him. The bread and the cup, they represent his body and his blood. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. This this cup is my blood which is poured out for you. Eat this, drink this in remembrance of me. And we worship him. We say thank you to him. We say I'm going to trust you in the midst of the impossible. Does that not kind of represent the impossible? That God would allow himself to be crucified and that his shed blood would set me free from my sin? That's impossible. And yet... So maybe this morning you need to come to the Lord's table and you need to be reminded that God is in the moments of the impossible. There are people in the back that are ready to pray with you. We should not do this alone. Don't do this alone. Don't try to be a person of peace alone. Do it in his family, with his family. And sometimes we need to just come back and say, I, need, I don't even know what to say. You say, well, I don't know what to say to that person. Okay. You walk back and say, would you pray for me? And we're going to sing songs that are, some are going to be familiar, some may not be, but they're songs that provide, they're moments that provide an opportunity for you and I to express our worship and our gratitude to God. So what we declare as we sing these songs is that God is in the impossible. We declare what Mary declared. We know his sovereignty. We know his faithfulness. We know his goodness. We know that he will not leave us or abandon us and that we can be people of peace in the impossible. So let's worship him together. Father, thank you again for your son, Jesus, for willing, being willing to give him up as a gift, to give him as a gift for us. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and bringing us joy, coming and bringing us peace. We owe everything to you. Forgive us for having taken our eyes off of who we know you to be, and instead drop them down to our circumstances and to our surroundings and the pain and the darkness that is there and forgetting who you are, that you are still present in the midst of the impossible. Father, it is our desire to be people of peace, to exude peace in the midst of the impossible, but we acknowledge that we can't do it on our own, in our own strength and we can't do it alone. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to have your way as we worship to transform us. Use the story of Mary to change us so that we can change the world.